Special technique. Special technique of shadow boxing. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's going on, what's going on? You're here live on the Go Long Media channel on Blog Talk Radio. And yes, this is the Boxing Source Radio Show. I'm your host, James Bell, lead boxing analyst for the Cold Hard Truth on Sports. That is the sports blog site. The CHT on sports.com. Once again, that's the CHT on sports.com. And number to dial in to talk about 347 237 5539. That's 347 237 5539. Press one key. To get on queue, and you'll be able to talk live on the show. I uh, pretty much have up to, I would say, yeah, 90 minutes or so live to talk boxing. Uh, we got a lot of things to cover in this particular podcast, so we're going to try to get through all of that within that 90-minute time frame or so. So with that being said, pretty much going to get into it. Um, we had uh, yesterday a few boxing events uh, that were featured on television. Um, we had a uh, telecast that was on ESPN, Top Rank Boxing on ESPN. And then later on, uh, it had something on ESPN Plus for those that were in the United States and on a pay-per-view or like Box Nation or uh, whatever provided the fight in other countries. But we're going to basically start out with what happened over in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia as the much-anticipated bout for some. Um, specifically boxing fans and fans of one of the fighters included in the main event. As you had the WBA regular welterweight championship on the line as Lucas Martin Matisse from Argentina faced the well-regarded or well or highly popular boxer from the Philippines, of course. Former uh, multi-division world champion, Manny Pacquiao. Yes, I said multi-division champion because 
the talk is that, you know, we aren't necessarily sure how many divisions he was called world champ. So I just say multi-division champion Manny Pacquiao. And uh, go through a little bit of background of this particular fight uh, that was in Kuala Lumpur. Of course, Manny Pacquiao hadn't been in the ring since uh, July of last year where he lost the WBO welterweight title to Jeff Horn in Australia. Of course, that was a uh, fairly controversial bout, fairly controversial decision, as many people thought that Manny Pacquiao won that fight over in Australia, and he hadn't fought since. And then you had Lucas Martin Matisse uh, that, you know, made his name mainly in the 140-pound division, um, won a minor belt at 140 pounds a few years ago. Uh, his, you know, defining win was, at that point, knocking out or stopping Lamont Peterson, uh, which led to a fight against, at the time, unified 140-pound champion Danny Garcia in Las Vegas. Uh, he ended up losing that fight uh, by unanimous decision. Uh, but he ended up going up to welterweight eventually after, you know, challenging for uh, the 140-pound titles once again. Um, another notable fight that he had at 140 was against Victor Postal. Of course, Victor Postal uh, had the WBC super lightweight title um, at one point. But against, you know, Postal against Matisse. Matisse ended up getting outboxed and outclassed and got stopped. But even with that, having a semi-layoff, was able to go up to 147 pounds and eventually face Tira Kiram earlier this year for that WBA regular belt. Tira Kiram at the time was undefeated. Nobody really knew about Kiram. Uh, that much, not much of a background, no real notable uh, fights uh, or notable wins at that point. And that particular card, if you remember that fight, it wasn't really eventful until, you know, all of a sudden, Lucas Matisse knocked down Tira Kiram at one point and it ended up, you know, having the fight stop for him to win that WBA belt. But he hadn't fought since then. And then he put together the fight between him and Manny Pacquiao for that WBA regular welterweight title. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, that was the main event. And you had, of course, you know, Manny Pacquiao was able to make the limit. And Lucas Matisse was able to make the limit and, you know, over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about this particular fight uh, that we had no idea, but not much of an idea of what could uh, turn, what would turn out in reference to this particular fight. Um, the other notable thing with Manny Pacquiao was not only was he coming back to the ring after being inactive for over a year, but this would be the first fight in a long, long time that 
Manny Pacquiao would not have trainer Freddie Roach in his corner. Um, after the fight between Manny Pacquiao and Jeff Horn, it uh, seems like there were uh, there's some word circulating that you know Manny Pacquiao wasn't really um, happy with how Freddie Roach assessed the fight between him and Jeff Horn and didn't, you know, kind of call out what was going on in the ring with Jeff Horn. Because if y'all remember that Jeff Horn was, like, doing a lot of rough tactics, tying Manny Pacquiao up a lot, um, doing a couple of other things. Uh, but he still was, you know, able to do all of that, get through that ninth round, and then eventually – get the decision win over Manny Pacquiao. And so, you know, with that being said, she ended up, you know, splitting ways. And for this fight, you had Boo Boy Fernandez as the trainer for Manny Pacquiao. Um, Boo Boy Fernandez has been in the corner of Manny Pacquiao. It's basically been, you know, the chief second for so many years with Manny Pacquiao. Good buddies with Manny Pacquiao, and so uh, he has this uh, fight here where he was able to be in the corner of his longtime friend. So you had, of course, Manny Pacquiao uh, coming to the ring first as the challenger, and you had Lucas Martinese coming to the ring second as the WBA regular world champ. So we're able to go into this first round and a lot of people were anticipating what or how Mindy Pacquiao would uh, start out. And, well, he started out very fast and, you know, looked very sharp. Um is able to, I wouldn't necessarily say, um, move in and around the ring a lot like he used to years ago. However, he was able to pump out, you know, the jab very well, and he was able to measure Lucas Martinese and be the first guy, I would say, to throw punches. Um, he was easily, you know, the first to attack. Um, he was able to see what Lucas Martinez was doing and was able to get, you know, jabs out, a couple of combinations and things like that within the first round. And so, you know, from that, I think a lot of people were kind of relieved to see uh, Manny Pacquiao in that juncture as uh, he was able to get that good start. Now, um, as far as the, you know, second round was concerned, he was doing like a lot better in that second round. And, you know, from, I think from that point, we kind of like saw, you know, how, you know, even at 
the level or the status where, excuse me, um, Manny Pacquiao was at or had been, he still had signs of, you know, being the fighter that, you know, eventually defeated uh, guys like Antonio Margarito, Miguel and El Cotto, Ricky Hatton, um, you know, and Shane Mosley, um, and of course, a few times over, Juan Manuel Marquez. Uh, but, you know, here with uh, Lucas Matisse, we also saw in Lucas Matisse where, you know, he had shown the signs of like the same fighter that went up against um, Victor Postal. Now, if y'all remember, I'm not necessarily sure if Blue Boy Fernandez was chief second in the fight between Lucas Matisse and Victor Postal, but, you know, uh, Freddie Roach was in the corner for Postal and was able to uh, be in there to see Postal get that uh, win, so to speak. So um, you did, you know, basically have a kind of like a general idea of how to fight Lucas Matisse from that fight that he had against Victor Postal. So I I guess that, you know, uh, Manny Pacquiao kind of like took those notes from that particular fight and used it here against Lucas Matisse. Um, That was something there that we kind of saw. So, you know, with that being said, um, we we saw what happened within those first couple of rounds as Lucas Matisse really didn't look like he was doing much of anything at all. So um, that is uh, something that we kind of got here in this in this matchup. So, like I was saying, uh, first round, oh, one of the other things that, you know, I kind of um, got um, was that you kind of seen in the um, introductions that one thing that kind of like got me in the introductions Um, I wanted to, you know, basically uh, point this out was, you know, Michael Buffer, you know, introduced Manny Pacquiao first. And when he introduced Lucas Matisse second, um, he kind of said something that had me chuckling a little bit. And that was one of the so-called accolades that he was trying to put on to um, Lucas Matisse. And that is that he is, you know, one of the most herald, heralded or something like that knockout artists in the welterweight division. And I'm like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, man. Hold on. You talking about 
Lucas Matisse, right? Yo, Lucas Matisse in the welterweight division. I'm like, nah, man, nah. That that don't that don't sound right because, yo, Lucas Matisse, um, he really didn't have that many fights in the welterweight division. So I don't know where that kind of quote came from by Michael Buffer. I know that you want to, you know, basically boost, um, you know, boost people and stuff like that when you do these introductions, but, you know, having, you know, something like that is, uh, yeah, that's kind of a stretch to say the least. Um, so that was uh, one thing that y'all wanted to point out before I like, you know, got back into the uh, talk with this uh, particular with this uh, particular matchup. So like I was saying, um, Manny Pacquiao was able to get into a good start um, in that uh, he had that good fast start within those first couple of rounds. Um, you know, after that, he, um, you know, was going into the third round and stuff like that. And it still seemed like, you know, Lucas Matisse really wasn't getting off, you know, his punches. Um, And that Manny Pacquiao was still able to move in and out, in and out of the pocket, uh, throwing combinations. And then, you know, pretty much around midway or closer to the second half of that third round, Pacquiao came in, was able to get, you know, one punch in and then an uppercut that went through the guard of Lucas Matisse. And Matisse went down to the canvas real quick there in the third round. And so that once that happened, the uh, crowd in Malaysia pretty much went wild. Uh, they went crazy. Uh, you know, they had a lot of happen uh, there. It's up a little bit. Um, so you had Manny Pacquiao score a third round knockdown, uh, there. So he was already ahead and, you know, the, uh, kind of some of the people's scorecards, two to nothing or, you know, 20 to 18. Then he got that, uh, knockdown. So he was, you know, basically up, uh, 30 to 26 after three rounds and it almost seemed like it was going to be a wash, a uh, blow away victory um, from there. Um, But, you know, we were able to get to the fourth round and in the fourth round, Lucas Marmatisse started to, you know, pick up the action a little bit. He started to, you know, score with a couple of, you know, big, you know, big right hands. Um, was able to score a couple times with the counter, you know, counter right, um, and kind of, you know, throw off the timing of Manny Pacquiao a little bit, but nothing to really affect Manny Pacquiao. And the thing about what we had saw within those first four, Manny Pacquiao, was throwing punches or was throwing combinations that, you know, Matisse was backing up. 
And that, you know, really can't be a good thing going up against Manny Pacquiao. You're going to be giving them confidence. Uh, you're going to be allowing him to do more of the things that he wants to do, and you're not doing anything to, you know, uh, mess up his timing. So that is that is what I basically saw within those first four four or five rounds, you know, uh, by uh, Manny Pacquiao and Lucas Matisse. So, I mean, after, you know, a couple of, you know, after a couple more rounds, you saw Manny Pacquiao basically get back into the thick of things, get into the timing and whatnot, and still it was Manny Pacquiao that looked like he was the fresher fighter, the quote-unquote younger fighter, uh, the sharper fighter, of course, and that we just saw Lucas Martin Matisse say that, like as I said earlier, looked like the same Matisse that got blown out, so to speak, against Victor Postal at 140 pounds. And so, you know, Manny Pacquiao ended up scoring another knockdown um, when he got in the combination and then uh, Lucas Matisse went down to one knee, which kind of, you know, raised the ire of some people that, you know, ended up watching the fight. Um, and Lucas Matisse got up from that. Uh, but then in the seventh round, close to the end of the seventh round, Manny Pacquiao was able to get in a good combination with good, you know, left hand and put Matisse down to the canvas once again. And with that, you know, Kenny Bayless ended up stopping the fight two minutes and 43 seconds of round seven for Manny Pacquiao to win that WBA regular welterweight title and get the 60th win of his career. 60 wins. Seven losses, two draws is the new record for Emmanuel DePedron Pacquiao. And he is the WBA regular welterweight champion. Um, and he, he, you know, basically won every every round in this particular fight. Um, the three judges that was going about uh, did give – Lucas Matisse won round in those scorecards, but, you know, even with that, it wasn't like anything to where Manny Pacquiao was in big trouble. So, um, I mean, to me, it just seemed like Matisse really was not, you know, there to give a good fight. Um, Not sure what his motivation was going into the fight. Um, but I would have thought that, you know, we would have had a better effort um, and that we would have seen something better from Lucas Matisse, specifically, you know, with him having the, uh, you know, WBA welterweight title. Um, But, you know, even with that, um, as you can see, you have Manny Pacquiao now as the WBA a regular welterweight champion. 
Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure how I could gauge the overall performance of Manny Pacquiao because usually, you know, when I look at fights, specific fights with uh, guys that are veterans, um, those that have been, you know, in long layoffs, um, you know, I kind of like gauge like how they perform after the long layoff one and the opponent that they have faced or they, they did face in that particular fight. And so, you know, here with Manny Pacquiao, you know, although it seemed like he, you know, performed at a, you know, very good level, at a very high level of sorts, but we also got to take into account the person that was on the other side of the ring and Lucas Martin Matisse. Now, um, like I was saying before, I mean, Matisse had, you know, defeated Emmanuel Taylor and then defeated uh, Tira Kiram uh, at welterweight, you know, after his long stint, uh, junior or super lightweight, excuse me. Uh, but remember, like going up against the likes of Danny Garcia, you know, against, um, you know, Victor Postal, um, and, and it's, you know, real tough fight with Ruslan Provodnikov in 2015. Um, you really didn't have, you know, any notable wins other than the one that I mentioned uh, against Lamont Peterson in 2013 before losing to Danny Garcia. He did, you know, lose the likes of uh, Devin Alexander, uh, Super Jab Judah, you know, in, in, in his career. So as far as, like, the career-defining fight, like I was saying before, it was that knockout of um, Lamont Peterson that, you know, raised the eyes of many people before his fight against Danny Garcia. And uh, if you were, you know, in Vegas um, around that time for that co-feature bout to, of course, uh, Mayweather versus Canelo, a lot of people were buying into the stock of Lucas Matisse going into that fight against Danny Garcia, but Danny Garcia was able to, you know, box his way to a unanimous decision win there, and that kind of was, you know, a a chance where he was able to be at a high point and, you know, didn't necessarily perform up to the abilities that he could have in order to, you know, win the unified super lightweight title at that time. So, um, looking at him against the likes of a Manny Pacquiao, especially in the welterweight division, uh, being backed up every time that Manny Pacquiao was throwing punches or throwing combinations at him, uh, that kind of like signaled to me that he is not really um, a guy that would probably be regarded as among the top guys in the welterweight division right now. And so with that, we we kind of look at Manny Pacquiao and we're seeing that, you know, a lot of people are trying to get into buying into Manny Pacquiao once again in that, you know, he, he could probably be, quote, unquote, back in the welterweight division that he could, you know, challenge, you know, other guys there in the welterweight division. Uh, but if you, you know, look at the scope of things at welterweight, 
We've always said that welterweight is the premier division in the sport of boxing. Always usually has the most talented uh, fighters in the sport within the yeah within the sport. I mean, um, and of course, of course, we know about the WBO welterweight champion now, Terrence Crawford. We know about you know the guy that's highly regarded as the best in the division, Errol Spence Jr., IVF welterweight champion, the, you know, WBA super champion. No, he was not stripped of the super championship. He is still the super champion, and that is Keith. One-time Thurman also up there at the top, and over for the WBC, they will have that welterweight title on the line that will be scheduled for September 8th, with Danny Garcia going up against Sean Porter. So you have those guys there in the welterweight division. And looking at Manny Pacquiao, I mean, Manny Pacquiao is basically part of the old guard going up against these guys here that are, you know, younger, uh, that could be stronger, that could be faster, that could take a punch a lot better than Lucas Matisse. Um you know, guys like, you know, Errol Spence Jr. and Sean Porter, you know, basically walk around uh, a little bit bigger than 147 pounds. You know, they kind of walk around to the one, around like 154 to 156 pounds, moving back down to 147. So, you know, having somebody like Manny Pacquiao go up against these guys, it would be, you know, a very good fight. But, you know, I'm unsure if he will be very successful against many of these guys. Um, some people are saying that they would pick Manny Pacquiao over the likes of a Danny Garcia or, or over a Sean Porter. But, you know, my thing is with, with Danny, Danny, if he's able to, you know, take the punches from Manny Pacquiao and start to walk towards Manny Pacquiao, that could, you know, signal trouble for him there. And, with Sean Porter, we know how Sean Porter fights. Um, he's, you know, someone who likes to get in, make it rough, smother you up. And we saw the uh, Pacquiao-Horn fight, and Horn does not have the overall, um, I would say, strength, so to speak, as Sean Porter does. So that would be also a troubling fight for Manny Pacquiao, if that fight possibly took place. So um, we're looking at the overall gauge of, you know, what could happen in, you know, these fights. So that, that I, I would kind of, you know, see what would be next for uh, Manny Pacquiao. Um, something like that, I, I, I just don't know. Uh, what his next fight would be. Uh, I would say that it would be another safe touch, probably a safe touch for Manny Pacquiao as the uh, WBA regular champion at welterweight. Um, He's already, you know, defeated uh, Jesse Vargas. Um, People are talking about him possibly fighting Amir Khan. Um, That fight had been a possibility earlier, uh, I think sometime last year, but, you know, didn't fall through. And then we eventually got 
Manny Pacquiao versus uh, Jeff Horn, and we saw what the result uh, of that was. So, you know, maybe with, you know, this win, that kind of like picks up a little bit more momentum to possibly see Manny Pacquiao going up against Amir Khan uh, for that WBA regular title. Um, if they're able to have that, you know, maybe in Malaysia, maybe somewhere in the Philippines or, you know, over in England, maybe that could, you know, open things up for uh, the likes of, um, you know, Manny Pacquiao and uh, things like that. So um, that's what, you know, I've, I've uh, got uh, so far there with this, you know, particular a fight. Um, one of the things I would say within the overall fight card, I mean, uh, you had uh, one other notable fight that people were kind of eyeing, and that was the WBA light flyweight championship fight between Carlos Canazales and Ben Lu. Um, ben Lu, you know, coming from China, uh, he, you know, had, you know, one fight, was able to get a knockout in his first professional fight, was going for the world title in his second professional fight, uh, trying to see if he could top the likes of Vasilomachenko, who also tried to, you know, go for a world title in his uh, second professional fight and uh, was unsuccessful. Uh, here with Ben Lu going up against Carlos Gonzalez, who was there uh, at 20 wins, zero losses in one draw. Um, you know, uh, had had uh, had the WBA light flyweight title, uh, winning it earlier this year against Rio Konishi. Uh Was able to get a unanimous decision win there, but you know, here against uh, Ben Lu. He was able to use his, um, I would say, his so-called experience of sorts to score a knockdown against Ben Liu in the 11th round and then once again in the 12th round and got the stoppage victory at the end of the 12th round. Um, so you had, uh, Ben Lu, who was the, you know, participant with, uh, China in the Summer Olympics, tried to get the, uh, a world title in his second professional fight, but was unsuccessful against Carlos Canazales. And so he's one and one, and I, I don't know what's going to happen here with him next. He'll probably have a few more fights in China, uh, but, you know, having a guy like that step up against, you know, a fighter in Carlos Canazales who, you know, already had fought four world titles before getting the uh, WBA light flyweight title um, was, uh, it basically ended up being a mistake, so... Uh, there you have it with uh, that. Uh, you did have, you know, also in international or, or the, the vacant IBF flyweight title 
um, that was on the line as uh, you had Marudi Talon going up against Muhammad Wazim. Um, Wazim was there at 8-0 uh, while you had uh, Tulane at 35-2-0 uh, there in the flyweight division. And so, um, <coughs> excuse me, you had uh, Wasim at number five, and you had Matalane at uh, number three ranked in the IBF. Uh, the number one and the number two positions were vacant. So with these two guys uh, that were available to fight for the vacant IBF flyweight title, uh, that's what we had. And, you know, with with, with that, you had Matalane, um, get the win by unanimous decision um, for the vacant IBF World Flyweight title um, as, you know, Talon from South Africa was able to move to 36 wins and just uh, two losses and give what seemed his first loss of his professional career as well. So that, you know, kind of like covers what happened over in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia right there. Um, for those that are, you know, tuning in on Blog Talk Radio and Wanna Talk Boxing, you could uh call in at, you know, three four seven two three seven five five three nine. Once again, three four seven two three seven five five three nine. Press the one key to get on cue, and you'll be able to talk live on the show. Uh, next up, we had the boxing telecast that was earlier in the day on ESPN. That was over in New Orleans, as you know, you had the. WBC Diamond Super Lightweight title or the interim WBC Super Lightweight title on the line as you had in the main event, undefeated Regis Progress going up against undefeated Juan Jose Velasco. Um, Progress is, you know, one, one guy that has been talked about a lot there in the Super Lightweight division. Uh, coming out of New Orleans, um, undefeated. Uh, we've seen him, you know, have a string of KO victories, you know, ever since uh, 2015 where he, you know, had uh, Abel Ramos, uh, you know, basically quit in the corner. And his, you know, recent win was against Julius Ndongo, former world super lightweight champion, uh, former unified super lightweight champion, Julius Ndongo, um, you know, who had the previous fight where he got knocked out by Terrence Crawford uh, over in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, but, you know, here with Regis Progress, he was able to score the TKO victory over Julius Ndongo, um, pretty much like wash Julius Ndongo in that particular fight. And he was able to come in a few months later against Juan Jose Velasco, 
Uh, Velasco was coming in there at 20 and 0. Uh, you know, but uh, Velasco, Velasco coming from Argentina, uh, had fought <laughs> the competition that uh, Velasco fought was really yeah, not really much to really talk about other than his win over Juan Garcia Mendez for the uh, WBC Latino Super Lightweight title. Other than that, uh, he had fought guys that were like 7, 17, and 1, 25, 27, and 4, 11, 15, and 3, 5, 6, and 1. So it was like, you know, you have somebody like him going up against Regis Progress, and you expected Progress to uh, get the uh, win here. And and that was basically, you know, what happened. Um, you had Regis Progress there trying to, you know, perform for his hometown crowd, and he was able to, you know, basically do that as he went in there and scored an eighth-round TKO victory over Juan Jose Velasco to, you know, get the WBC super lightweight diamond belt. No, it's not the actual WBC uh, world title. Um, because, of course, WBC champ at that particular division is um, Jose Ramirez, who was supposed to fight the week before, but his opponent, um, Danny O'Connor, had been hospitalized after the weigh-in, uh, so that fight got scrapped last weekend. Uh, so here you have Regis Progress. Uh, that you know stays undefeated, uh, moves to 22 and 0, and the expectation is that he may participate in the upcoming World Boxing Super Series tournament. Um, you know, for those that you know have been following the news and notes over the course of the week. You had the World Boxing Super Series, of course, having the uh, Bantamweight and Super Lightweight divisions be part of Season 2 for the World Boxing Super Series. And uh, the participants in the Super Lightweight division, you know, included, you know, Curl Relic, WBA champ, Anthony Yidget, and Yvonne Baranchik, who are the top guys uh, rated in the IBF. Uh, Josh Taylor, who, you know, won his recent fight against Victor Postal. Uh, you had Edward Troyanowski, former champ. Uh, Terry Flanagan um, seems like he'll be included. And you will also, you know, basically have Ryan Martin as uh, part of the tournament. So uh, once that, once that you know, kind of like takes place and gets started and jumps off, then – you know, we, we'll, you know, we'll uh, see that it's going to be a, a very exciting tournament, you know. So that's something that we're going to look forward to uh, with Regis Pogras there as the interim WBC 
super lightweight champion. Now, in the co-feature bout, you had Teofimo Lopez um, going up against William Silva. Teofimo Lopez had been, you know, getting a lot of, you know, noise as far as, like, what he's been able to do um, inside the ring. Uh, He was coming in there, you know, 10 wins. I mean, not uh, 10 wins, but nine wins, zero losses, had seven KOs going into this fight against William Silva. And that, you know, he was, you know, had a couple of uh, fights uh, there in, you know, New York, performed in Madison Square Garden a couple of times, um, you know, had a couple of fights over in uh, Tampa uh, last year. Uh, but he, you know, was there at, 130 pounds, um, and you know a lot of you know he's he, you know he's basically a um, former Olympian, but uh, he ended up losing uh, fairly early in the Summer Olympics in 2016. So um, he was just going from there straight into the professional ranks, having an undefeated record. And then came here, or came to New Orleans to face William Silva. William Silva was there uh, with a record of 25 wins and one loss. Um, had, you know, faced Felix Verdejo a couple of years ago for the WBO Latino lightweight title. Um, but, you know, kind of was unsuccessful in that fight against Felix Verdejo. Um, you hadn't really seen William Silva uh, be knocked out in a fight in his professional career. You know, that has lasted since 2006. Uh, but going up against Teofimo Lopez, um, you know, with Lopez having a lot of momentum behind him, uh, Lopez was able to, you know, blitz William Silva and, you know, score a couple of knockdowns and then eventually knock out William Silva in the sixth round to win a minor lightweight title, um, the WBC Continental America's lightweight title. Uh, so you had Teofimo Lopez moving to 10-0, and scoring the eighth knockout of his professional career and giving the second loss to William Silva. Um, and if you were following the, you know, the boxing source on Instagram or on Facebook, one of the things that I posted on there uh, before the night of the fight was uh, one quote from Teofimo Lopez. You know, he was talking about, you know, him being young in the fight game, you know, coming from being an Olympian in 2016, and that, you know, he's saying he's, you know, about to – you know, basically turned 21 years old in a couple of weeks and that he, you know, wants to, you know, basically challenge uh, guys there in the lightweight division. And he also included the name of Vasil Lomachenko, who holds one of those titles at 135 pounds as Lomachenko was able to defeat Jorge Linares for that WBO belt 
Um, so that kind of raised the eyebrows of a few boxing fans out there, uh, so to speak. So uh, that's something that we got to be on the lookout for in the uh, future um, as you have someone there in Teofimo Lopez who has, like, a lot of confidence and has, you know, been able to get this uh, recent win to stay undefeated and win a minor uh, title. Uh, So that's something that we are going to be looking out for in that particular division as, you know, that division is starting to pick up, you know, real quick. As you know that, you know, in a couple of weeks, you're going to have the unification bout at lightweight with the WBC champion, Mackie Garcia, and the IBF champion, Robert Isha Jr., also um, going up against each other in July 28th. So you're going to have a few things sorted out at the lightweight division. And I I guess that, you know, Teofimo Lopez wants to put his name in the uh, top of the particular lightweight division. All right, so we have pretty much uh, under 40 minutes or so in the live session of the Boxing Source radio show. And you want to, and if you want to talk boxing, you can at 347-237-5539. Once again, 347-237-5539. Press the one key to get on cue, and you'll be able to talk live on the show. Now, um, I was able to, you know, basically cover, you know, what I wanted to cover over the course of the weekend. Um, like I was saying, we, we had the thing with uh, Manny Pacquiao getting the WBA regular welterweight championship over Lucas Martin Matisse, and... Uh, we see that, you know, he had Regis Rograss get the uh, knockout win over Juan Jose Velasco. Also, you did have another uh, world title that uh, was on the line uh, as you had the WBA super middleweight title that was on the line. And this was the, you know, the regular uh, super middleweight title. As you had over in Germany, the WBA champ, Tyron Zuz, going up against Rocky Fielding, or Rocky Fielding, excuse me. Um, Fielding had just one loss in his uh, professional career up to this point, uh, losing to Callum Smith. Uh, back in 2015, while you know Tyron Zuch was there as the WBA regular champion at 22-0 and one, and the challenger Rocky Fielding was able to step in there to face Tyron Zuch and basically go into uh enemy territory as, you know, Tyron Zuz is from Berlin. Uh, this fight was over in Offenburg, Germany. But Fielding was able to, you know, 
five rounds and score the fifth round stoppage victory to win the WBA regular super middleweight championship um, and become that champion there uh, and give uh, Tyron Zeus his first loss of his professional career while moving to 27-1. and So the UK has two, basically two uh, champions there with the WBA. Of course, we know the super champion is George Groves, who is scheduled to, you know, have his um, World Boxing uh, Super Series final um, where he's going to defend that WBA Super uh, title um, against, excuse me, you know, against Callum Smith. Uh, they haven't really scheduled the date for that particular final. Of course, we know, you know, George Groves had injured his shoulder in his win over Chris Eubank Jr. So uh, we've been waiting on word of when the uh, fight between him and Callum Smith will take place. But uh, when it does, of course, you'll, you know, hear about it here on the Boxing Source. Um, and then uh, we'll see what happens here with, you know, the overall uh, the overall um, scope of that World Boxing Super Series, what happens with the winner between uh, George Groves and Callum Smith uh, there. And if they, you know, eventually face Rocky Fielding or Rocky Fielding, excuse me, later on uh, in the year. Of course, we know about the status of the IBF super middleweight title as Jose Uscategui. It was now named the IBF champion uh, and will go up against uh, Caleb Plant later on this year. And we had the uh, uh, the WBO champion, Gilberto Ramirez, also, you know, defend his title uh, recently. Um, so, that that particular division is also has like a good little amount of things that uh, have to be sorted out as well. So I'm sure that uh, we will see here what happens with uh, Fielding as the WBA regular champion there at super middleweight, but there's still more that has to be sorted out with that. So, with that being said, um, if you want to call in to talk boxing, you can call in at 347-237-5539. That is 347-237-5539. Press the one two and hit on two, and you'll be able to talk live on the show. All right. I've covered pretty much all the covers for July 14th. Now we're looking ahead to July 21st. And for me, July 21st is a date for one of the most anticipated matchups of the year in boxing. 
as we're going to have the undisputed cruiserweight championship take place in Moscow as going to have Alexander Usyk going up against Marat Gassayev over in Moscow for all of the major belts in the cruiserweight division. And it looks like somebody has called in to talk about the undisputed cruiserweight Hey, what's going on, JR? Great show so far. I've been listening in, man. Uh, it was great analysis that you had on the uh, Pacquiao Batiste fight. Great analysis on the um, undercard fight. And great analysis on uh, my guy, Teofimo Lopez, the next big star in professional boxing. Um, on Usage versus Gassiev, I'm taking Gassiev to stop Usage late in the fight. I think Gassiev has a lot more tools in the toolbox and Usage. I think he's a bit more fluid with his movement. I think um, Usage is, is straight up and down, no special effects, as Floyd Mayweather would say. Um, he's more of a plotter, a stutter. I think um, Gassiev can move better, has faster hands, and will be able to give Usage angles that I don't believe that he's used to. I have not been impressed with Usage during this run in the World Boxing Super Series, you know. I thought he had an easier role, and I thought that when he fought uh, Briettis, I, I really think you can make the argument that Briettis won that fight. So I haven't been too impressed with Usage. I have been very impressed with Gassius. You know, he took out Dordicos, who I thought was going to win the whole tournament. And I think that Gassius is going to seal the deal and bring the undisputed Cruiserweight Championship home to Russia, which is where he's fighting for it. Well, I mean, you know, with Usyk, I've been, like I said, I've been highly behind Alexander Usyk for most of his uh, professional career. Of course, he's had the extended amateur background as a mini pad. Um, you know, but you, you did bring up a point with Usage that he does seem like he's a plotter, that he doesn't really, you know, move around the ring very fluently. Uh, but, you know, for me, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Fable Sanchez, I mean, Abel Sanchez is on the side of uh, Marat Gasayev and I'm not much of a fan of Abel Sanchez, so I'm not, you know, necessarily going to give Marat Gasseyev the full approval to beat Alexander Usage, and I feel that, you know, Usage will be the tougher guy and, you know, basically say, all right, you can't really phase me or I'm going to be able to get through those punches and then, get the win over Murat Gasset to be the undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. Well, that's pretty interesting. I'm not, I'm not huge on Abel Sanchez either, as you probably already know, but I think that 
despite that, I do think Gaza will be able to win. You know, Usyk does have the training advantage. He is trained by Anatoly Lomachenko, who, as we know, is Vasily Lomachenko's father. Um, so he might have the trainer advantage. I haven't really been too impressed with Abel Sanchez as a trainer. I think um, a lot of his fighters don't exhibit much defensive ability. And a lot of his fighters seem not to be able to have a plan B or a C if plan A fails. But I think um, despite all of that, Gossip will overcome that. I think Fighting at home is going to carry him big time. You know, um, it's, he's going to have the backing of an entire nation behind him. There won't be one Usage fan in that crowd. I think Gossip is going to bring it home for his people of Russia. Mm. Um, one thing that they find interesting that um, we saw in reference to boxing news over the past couple of days uh, was the like trying to get this you know fight put together. Of course, they had a you know the fight originally scheduled to be in May, uh, but you know an injury to Usage kind of like delayed that, uh, so we had to have it pushed back a couple of months to uh, here coming up on uh, July. On 21st, and you know there was, you know, talk about you know possibly um, Otis and Usyk having issues, you know, with with accommodations um, there in Russia. Uh, so, um, if you can, you want to speak into, you know, speak into that. Well, I think what really happened is we had. Originally, the Cruiserweight tournament was supposed to end in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Okay? It was billed as the road to Jeddah. What happened was, allegedly, the funding for uh, the fight to take place in Jeddah was lost. And this happened because the World Wrestling Entertainment Organization... Uh, they made a deal with the Saudi prince, a 10-year deal to bring what was billed as the greatest Royal Rumble over to Jeddah uh, for the next 10 years. So the money that was supposed to be for the World Boxing Super Series allegedly went to the WWE. So they lost funding on that, and um, they were looking for, I guess, another sponsor to put up big money, which I think Mm. was the real delay in the date of the fight. So they only found a huge backer in Russia, and Usyk was not interested in fighting in Russia, so he was suddenly injured. Um, Now... There's a lot of political unrest in Russia as it pertains to the Ukraine, which is from where Usyk is from. So Usyk basically didn't really feel safe fighting in Russia. So he didn't want to go there, but he was assured 
by uh, Callie Sutherland uh, that his safety would be guaranteed and that he would get a fair shake in Russia. Now, what's come out recently is that um, the World Boxing Super Series organizer, Callie Sullivan, these guys didn't book a hotel for Usage. They didn't reimburse mm-hmm. him for his airfare. They didn't guarantee him security in Russia like they had promised. So, um, Abel Sanchez, not Abel Sanchez, uh, and Toli Lomachenko and uh, Usage's uh, manager were saying, mm-hmm. well, we don't know if Usage is going to go through with this fight. And that was as of last week. So I'm still interested to see, are we going to see this damn fight, first of all? Because uh, Usage was scheduled to fly out to Russia uh, this past Monday. Um, I believe he has flown out, but as it pertains to security and his hotel stay and all the arrangements that and combinations that are um, basically standard operating procedure when it comes mm-hmm. to boxing, that stuff has been pissed away by uh, Callie Sutherland. And I'm still, I'm wondering if this is going to affect uh, Usich's preparation at all, you know, because uh, that's not something a fighter should have to worry about, you know. Why should a fighter have to worry about accommodations and safety uh, when he's supposed to be preparing for the biggest fight of his life, undisputed cruiserweight champion, the first time all four belts will be uh, won by one person. So, you know, I think that might also affect Usage, which is why I'm going with Gassiev. You know, Gassiev is the hometown boy, so he has no issues as it comes to his own safety, as it comes to his own accommodations, because I'm pretty sure – Mr. Putin would love to take care of that for him just to show that Russia is, quote-unquote, superior to the Ukraine. You know, not to get all political, mm. but this fight right. is of great magnitude in that region. Like, I would compare this fight to Joe Lewis versus Max Schmeling, uh, the second fight uh, in which uh, Hitler attended the fight at Yankee Stadium. I think that that fight is that huge in that region because it is basically a war going on out there. And I think Mm -hmm. these two men are being used as the puppets for this war, whether they like it or not. And I think that Usage is really getting the short end of the stick as it pertains to his preparation for the fight. Mm. Yeah, that yeah, that's kind of interesting. You see, like how the overall circumstances of, you know, how Usyk was able to get into uh, Russia uh, to eventually, you know, take part in this fight. Um, he is, you know, able to, you know, he is in Russia. Um, you know, as of earlier today, um, they had something here. Uh, posted on boxing scene that he, you know, has been training over in the Olympic Village in Kiev, uh, Russia. So, you know, right now he's, you know, kind of getting himself prepared for Murat um, Gasayev, um, and that, 
you know, he's trying to, you know, get sparring sessions in with people that kind of like emulate Gasayev's uh, fighting style and things like that. So um, he looks like he's, you know, pretty much all good uh, going into Wait, this undis- undisputed. Yes. Well, Kiev is in the Ukraine. That's not in Russia. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kiev, Ukraine. I mean, my bad. Um, but they said that, you know, he's going to be, you know, he, he's, he's like still confident. Uh, going into this particular, you know, particular fight against Mariah mm-hmm. Gossip. So, you know, there, you know, there basically is that. So um, if y'all care, just go into a uh, boxing scene to uh, check out that uh, article there uh, with Alexander Usyk. Um, right now we got area code 205 in here with us live. Uh, 205, what's your name? Where you calling from? Hey, what's going on, James? It's Mike Grady. How you doing, man? Calling from Atlanta. All right, there we got Mike Grady in from Atlanta. What's good with you? Not much, not much. Um, y'all don't have a lot of comments on the Usyk uh, fight. I haven't actually watched either of these fighters much just yet, but uh, I think I'll watch it before the fight actually happens. Watch a couple of their fights, maybe even the uh, the boxing tournament. But I haven't watched many, if, if any, of their fights. Yeah, um, I mean, this, you know, this particular matchup is, you know, where you're going to have, for the first time ever, uh, say, the un- an undisputed cruiserweight champion, uh, someone who will hold, you know, all of the belts, major belts in cruiserweight, and, you know, seeing that we, you know, had a rarity uh, at super lightweight, seeing Terrence Crawford win all the major belts in super lightweight last year, um, you really haven't seen something like this uh, within any division, you know, over the, you know, over the past, you know, five, five years or so, five, ten years. So, you know, having somebody in Terrence Crawford win the undisputed super lightweight title and then the winner of this matchup be the undisputed cruiserweight champion is, you know, going to be a feat, uh, to say the least, uh, there. But um, you're saying that, you know, you haven't really seen that much of um, uh, these guys I, w- I would say look at that, you know, that fight between Marat Gassev and Junior Dodikos. Uh, that was a, you know, a good little scrap uh, there. And then uh, you have there with uh, Alexander Usic uh, there as the, <clears throat> excuse me, as the uh, unified cruiserweight champion. Uh, he had, you know, his uh, semifinal match, um, you know, up against, Myers Brightest, that was a you know a very tough matchup, but he was able to pull off a majority decision in uh, that one there. So those are two uh, fights to kind of like reference uh, for these two guys in order you know for you to get a fairly good assessment of uh, what is uh, in store for this fight coming up on Saturday. Okay. You know, so. So that's uh, something that, like, basically uh, going reference. Um, got, like, about, what is it, about, like, under 15 minutes left in the live session. Uh, we have, um, if you can, call in 347-237-5539 uh, to talk boxing. Um, the one other thing that's coming up uh, July 21st is for the WBO Super Welterweight title uh, between Jaime Munguia and Liam Smith. And part of the undercard will be Alberto Machado defending the WBA regular junior lightweight title against Rafael Mensa. So, um, you know, Jaime Munguia, of course, won the WBO uh, super welterweight title 
over Saddam Ali. Um, of course, Saddam Ali didn't necessarily expect to face a guy like Jaime Munguia, but he was like, you know what, oh, well, I'll take it. Um, and he ended up getting washed. And so you have now with Jaime Munguia going up against Liam Smith, is like I was saying uh, previous week, um, I really don't see Liam Smith really having much of a chance against Jaime Munguia in this fight. Um, so I, I kind of like see Jaime Munguia basically um, winning this, <laughs> winning this big, and you know getting the, you know putting himself um, there among the top. Guys in the division, of course, you know, you have the unified champ, Jared Hurd, and WBC champ, Jamel Charlo, out there. So uh, that's, you know, the quick uh, preview, you know, I have of uh, that particular matchup. And, you know, the uh, thing with Alberto Machado going up against uh, Rafael Menza for that um, regular uh, junior lightweight title, um, you know, it, it's, you know, Machado's there. As a regular champ, you know, the super champ is Tank Davis, and Mensa is the top contender there in the WBA. So, you know, we're going to be able to see, you know, these guys in action uh, there. But, you know, with the – I think the IBF and the WBO title are still vacant in that particular division. So it's like Gervonta Davis is currently number one by default in that division. So maybe uh, one of these guys could kind of put their name in the in the in the hat for uh, the best guy at 130 pounds. So that's like you know a quick uh, preview of that particular fight. So um, Matt, you got any uh, thoughts about that that particular card? Well, I'm picking Jaime Munguia to maul, beat down, and overwhelm Liam Smith. You know, Liam Smith in his only step-up in competition against Canelo showed that he can be bullied by a bigger man. And um, he was basically life or death with Liam Williams. Um, I don't think he's ready for someone as big, strong, and relentless as Jaime McGee. But I am interested to see how Jaime McGee performed in his first basic, uh, defense. It's a lot easier to, to to me, chase a title than it is to be the marked man and people are gunning for you. So I am curious to see uh, if Mungia is focused, uh, if he's still hungry, and how he's able to adapt to being the favorite because he is the favorite. He wasn't the favorite versus Ali. He was a virtual unknown, but he made his statement to the world on a large platform like HBO. So now the world knows who he is, and the world has done it for him now. So I'm interested to see how he's going to react to that. As for uh, the Machado fight, I don't really have much interest in that because, you know, I don't know what's up with the WBA. They have like three or four champions in every weight class. The WBA championship means nothing. So, how good is Machado? He's a decent fighter. Is he better than the Tank Davis? I guess we'll never know because Machado is a, a golden boy fighter and Tank Davis is with Al Hammond. So, uh, does it really matter? We're never going to see these guys face each other. 
So why do we even care? They're just going to be, uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I just want to see these guys at 130 pounds match up with Tank Davis. I want to see Tank Davis challenge himself like he did not challenge himself versus Vasily Lomachenko. So I need to see these guys fight each other. The division, I believe, is is pretty damn thin right now. So what are we we really talking about here? I think the real fight (laughs) is going to be Davis moving up to 135 or if you have someone like Gary Russell Jr. moving up to 130 to challenge him. I don't think that there's really much else in the division. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, like I was saying, I mean, you look at the overall scope of that 130-pound division, you really don't see anyone else standing out other than Tank Davis. And so, you know, with that being said, it's like, you know, seeing this particular fight, it's like people expect it to be like neither one of these guys to really uh, challenge Tank Davis at that particular weight class. So, um, I'm kind of like seeing it as, you know, a uh, fight to see, you know, who's second best, so to speak, or, you know, who might not even be second best when it comes to 130-pound division. Um, Mike Grady, what's your thoughts about that uh, fight card uh, coming up on HBO? Yeah, so I definitely favor Mundia. I think that uh, Matt had a great you know, great synopsis on Liam Smith when he stepped up against Canelo, how he got bullied. And, you know, Munguia definitely has the dog in him. And you can tell he has, like, that relentless killer-like attitude. And I could definitely see Liam Smith probably getting stopped uh, because I don't recall what tools Liam Smith had to – really keep somebody that that does have that type of pressure that come for hit you anywhere you know they can land a punch pressure I don't know what I've seen from Liam Smith that'll keep that off of him and even if he has the power to do that from a bigger guy um and does he have a good chin I don't recall if he has a good chin or not but I, I can see him getting been really bad stopped Yeah. More retirement in the corner. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I'm looking at with with this particular, you know, fight here is that I I just see Liam Smith really getting, you know, blasted. I mean, last you know memorable thing I saw of Liam Bisbee Smith was him basically being all crunched up in the on the canvas from the body shots that he took from Canelo Alvarez, you know, over in uh, Arlington. So. um I basically see the same thing here, you know. I mean, it it, it looks like it's going to be pretty bad for him. So I, I'm not, you know, looking forward to uh, seeing what happens here with uh, Liam Keefe Smith. So so there is uh, that to kind of like look into um, to see if anyone so else kind of like steps up. What what you got? Hey, you got a question? Uh, yeah, so who could Munguia fight, like realistically fight, because he's not about to fight Charlo or um, Hurd, in my opinion. 
Yeah, so with him kind of like being. Yeah, him kind of like being there behind, um, you know, Golden Boy and things like that. I'm not sure what would be an opening for him. Um, one guy that could have been a possibility, but he is not going to be fighting uh, this month due to injury, and that is Kel Brook. Uh, Kel Brook there at 154 pounds, but uh, was scheduled to have a fight. You know, I think it was uh, for July 28th, but with an injury, he's not going to be able to make that. So that kind of like puts his name out of the hat for, you know, a potential uh, bout for one of those world titles um, at 154 pounds. And even with that, um, a fight between him and Mungia wouldn't be a very good idea at this juncture. Um, Mungia being one of those guys that I feel is like Jared Hurd in that he walks around a lot bigger than 154 pounds and, you know, facing someone like a, you know, if Kel Brook faced someone like him or like Jared Hurd, he'd basically get washed because he would be getting hurt and hurt badly. So I, I, I don't think that would be that would be a good idea for Kel Brook, but that's the only, you know, kind of like the only big matchup that I really see uh, out there for Mungia to basically face because, you know, the likes of, you know, Arislandi Lara and Julian J. Rock Williams and, uh, you know, Tony Harrison, all of those guys are, you know, basically under, you know, the premier boxing champions being or under the advisement of Al Heyman. So I really don't see uh, Mungia going up against those guys. But to to that point, though, I would see him being put in with one of those guys that you named off of sheer uh, ability. Like, him against him, they're, they're not necessarily – they wouldn't be favored necessarily against Monkia. Those are possibly winnable fights. Do yeah. well early, but it, it would be like the same like Jamal fight. It would be like the same thing as the Jamal fight. Yeah, that's possible. That is possible. But, yeah, it's like I, I'm really not sure like whether they're Matchups could be, you know, possible with Jaime Munguia there uh, under uh, that particular banner. Um, you got anything on I it, think uh, you guys, that? I think you guys are um, leaving out uh, Mache Suleki. You know, he did have a decent showing versus Danny Jacobs uh, in his last fight on HBO. So he is a bit of a known commodity on HBO now. He doesn't have any Al Heyman ties. And he did most of his damage at 154. So I do think um, Oscar might be able to sell that potential matchup to HBO, you know, maybe on a, a after-dark card or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think ultimately what we need to be looking at is maybe the fighters that Kathy Duva and Main Events has because – Golden Boy and Main Events are now going to be working together after they made a deal together with Facebook to put on uh, matchups together on, on, on the Facebook Live platform. So I do think you'll see a lot of talent exchanges when it comes to 
main event and Golden Boy. And looking at uh, main event roster, they do have um, some up-and-coming super welterweights. So maybe you might see those guys fed to Jaime Mejia in order for them to make bigger fights in the future. Um, I also think that what we're really building to is Jaime Mejia versus Canelo Alvarez eventually, I would say, in the next year or two. I think that's really what Golden Boy is building towards. They want, you know, Canelo is tainted right now, no pun intended. You know, so I think what you're going to see is that Oscar is going to hope that Jaime Munguia can turn into the next Canelo Alvarez and the next Mexican superstar. You know, so I think his style is more Mexican style, quote-unquote, than Canelo. And I think that Oscar basically, he he pulled a Bob Allen move on Saddam Ali, man. He really cast him <laughs> out to... He did, man. He did. He pulled a Bob Allen move on <laughs> yeah. He cast him out to Munguia. So I think what's going to happen is he's going to attempt to build Munguia into the next Mexican superstar. Yeah, that, that is a possible but thing there. I don't think he would risk Canelo, though. Like, do you think – I, I would see it a better uh, strategy to leave them two on separate islands as long as he could and, you know, have Canelo in one breath and then Munguia in another breath and then try to stay away from – even though people will try to have comparisons and, you know, talks of fights to just keep them two on separate islands to maximize, like, real estate, you know, more real estate in the boxing community? Um, well, like I said, I think it's more down the line, maybe, like, I'd say a year or two from now, because, you know, Canelo, whether or not I want to believe it, because I'm a huge Canelo fan, Canelo has lost a lot of fans because of, the drug testing fiasco and the negotiations with Triple G, Gennady, Gennadyevich, Golovkin. So I think that Oscar is going to, you know, Oscar's a snake, all right? He learned from Bob Adam. Like, I, I don't know how to say but he's a bit of a snake. So don't ever think that he won't cash out Canelo. You know, I don't know if you remember, but years ago when Canelo was up and coming, Oscar was talking about fighting Canelo to quote unquote pass the torch. So I, I, I've never heard of a promoter offering to fight his own fighter. So who, who really knows how Oscar really, really feels about Canelo? So I think don't 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 sell Oscar short. He'll he'll sell his he'll sell his mama if he has to. Okay, so don't think that he won't sell Canelo. And we also have to remember that Top Rank has, I guess, a decent relationship with Golden Boy now. So Top Rank does have a couple interesting fighters in and around the 154-pound division. So, you know, like I said, you could see some tonic changes. You won't see that with the Heyman fighters. That's, that's just not going to happen. But you could see Asa working with um, top rank and working with main events, Kathy Duba, uh, in order to find fights for Munguia. 
You got Alex Torcedo in the welterweight division. He could move up. You got Alexander Beskutin. He's up and coming. Um, you have uh, who, who is this guy? Uh, even like say like you just signed a Brian Lua. These are guys that maybe you haven't heard of yet, like a Carlos Adams. But Top Rank is full of prospects in and around the 154 pound division. So I think it might be realistic to see Top Rank do talent exchanges because that's something that Bob Adam has been very interested in in order to build up the ESPN Plus app and to build up the ESPN platform. Yeah, I tried the uh, free trial for the ESPN Plus this weekend to watch Pacquiao's fight. They, um, I don't know if the app has like a, a a Google Cast type thing, but I don't think it does, which is very unfortunate because I couldn't cast it to my TV because I was watching it on my phone. Well, do you have a smart TV? Because if you have like a Roku, yeah. then you can just download the ESPN app to the Roku. And ESPN Plus is actually inside the ESPN app. Oh, okay. All right. That that makes sense. And let's also not forget about Jeff Horn. You know, Jeff Horn is still out there looking to, to, to make a couple fights for himself. I'm sure he would love to have another title opportunity, even if he has to move up to 154. He is a bit of a, a, a bigger welterweight. So, you know, maybe you might see Mungia match up with Jeff Horn, which I think, would be a decently lucrative bout? Uh, it may be decently lucrative, but I would say only if it's, um, you know, kind of like out there in Australia or something like that. I don't see, like, where, you know, it could possibly be successful outside of that. And it would be like, well, as far as, like, the overall matchup itself is concerned, like, you really wouldn't expect Jeff Horn to really have much of a chance against Jaime McGee, especially uh, in a – you know, there is that. Um, but, uh, we're pretty much like the overtime session of a show uh, here where uh, we have, like, other uh, topics that we could, you know, basically bring up. Um I am looking forward to also July 28th as, you know, we have the thing with uh, over in London, Dylan White versus Joseph Parker, uh, main eventing over in London uh, with uh, also Katie Taylor going up against Kimberly Connor for, you know, the Unified Female Lightweight Championship. Um, And, of course, uh, I said that Kel Brook is not going to be Part of that card is he's injured, so the Kell Brook versus Brandon Cook fight is scrapped there. Uh, but you also have Carlos Takam going up against Derek Chisora. Uh, that'll probably be ended up as the cold feature over in London. And also in Los Angeles, you will have that unified lightweight championship take place between Mikey Garcia and Robert Easton Jr. 
uh, with uh, looks like the co-feature belt is going to be Luis King Kong Ortiz this time against Razvan Kajanu uh, in a 10-round heavyweight bout. So um, that's the upcoming schedule there on July 28th. Um, we had at first we had uh, Luis Ortiz uh, going up in there, uh, part of that card to be scheduled to, you know, fight. Um, you know, he had like another fight that landed up against Joe Hanks, uh, but I guess Joe Hanks was not going to be available there. So uh, he's going up against Razvan Kajanu uh, as part of that co-feature. Uh, Therefore, uh, Garcia versus Easter Jr. So um, I'm kind of like looking in uh, forward to uh, that to see how Ortiz comes out after the loss against uh, Deontay Wilder on March 3rd over at the Barclays Center. Uh, but you know, other than that, um, looking, I'm definitely looking forward to that Devin White uh, fight against Joseph Parker. Uh, because it's going to be something to where you kind of like see someone in Dylan White and Joseph Parker kind of like floating around that top 10 of the division right now, and the winner could kind of make their cases one of the guys that would be in the top five in the heavyweight division right now. So i um, thinking that's going to be a very good fight between those two, and I'm looking definitely – uh, looking forward to uh, that particular fight. But I wanted to get into one of the co-feature bouts in there because according to one person that's on the line, he says that this particular fighter is quote-unquote overrated, and that is Carlos Takam, who is going up against Derek Chisora in in uh, this fight card that's going to be over in London. Uh, so I would like for that person to kind of state their case as to why Carlos Sakam may be overrated, if they can. I, I said he was overrated? Uh, no, not necessarily you, no. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Uh, listen, Jr. You gotta understand something. <laughs> what? <laughs> you don't find Carlos overrated, or are you just saying that because you are a big Anthony Joshua supporter? You know, I, I think I understand you now. You know, I thought that you were just a Deontay Wilder hater, but then I happened to look at the graphic for your show. And I noticed front and center is a big picture of Anthony Joshua flexing. I think you are trying to build up the fighters that Anthony Joshua has beat so you can build up his resume. Because if you look at Carlos Takam, who has he beat? He beat uh, Michael Grant, who was never primed and way past it. He had a draw with Mike Perez in which he should have lost. He beat 40-year-old Tony Thompson. He got knocked out by roided-up uh, Alexander Povetkin. 
he beat who? George Arias. Have you heard of him? No. And that was the eight rounder. And then he lost to Joseph Walker, unanimous decision. And then his next step of the competition, he lost to Anthony Joshua. So who has Carlos Tackham ever beaten? What has he ever shown that would make you think that he is even in the top 15 of the heavyweight division? He, he's done absolutely nothing, nothing at all. And then he's fighting Derek Delboy Chisora, who they're both on the same level. They both have done nothing. They are both nothing but gatekeepers for the actual real players of the division. So you might find the fight interesting, but I find the fight to be Rocky Juarez versus Rocky Juarez, two gatekeepers just fighting each other. I don't want to see it. I don't care about it. You could build up Carlos Tecum as like the second coming of, uh, I guess because he's bald, maybe we'll say Evander Holyfield. Uh, you could build him up to be whatever the hell you want him to be. He's not any good. <laughs> he's never been any good. And no matter what you say, he's nothing when it comes to Anthony Joshua's resume. Well, first off, I would like to respond by. Uh, first off, I would like to respond by playing this. <laughs> Yo, here's my thing, right? Can I do a translation first, please? Not yet. I'll I'll, I'll put you on here later. Now, Carlos Uh, Takam, right? Here's my thing with Carlos Takam. He's a tough fighter. He's, you know, been in the ring with a good amount of the notable heavyweights that have been in the division. Um, He has, you know, faced and defeated Tony Thompson, which, you know, was a guy that also lost to, you know, some other notable heavyweight that a lot of people have, you know, boosted up. But even with that, you know, he lost, ended up losing to Alexander Pazekin, ended up to Joseph Parker, and, yes, he did lose to Anthony Joshua. Now, when it comes to the overall state of the heavyweight division, everybody basically knows that there is only, like, three or four guys that you could say stand out as far as, like, being the best in the division, and everybody else is kind of, like, second tier. And that includes former WBO champion Joseph Parker. So... With that being said, you can't really differentiate that much between those guys that are within, you know, 5 through 10 or 5 through 12 or whatever it is because there's nothing that basically says with those guys, hey, they could potentially be a world heavyweight champion, you know, other than, you know, Joseph Parker and, you know, maybe here with – um. Alexander Pavekin, who, you know, won the WBA regular title. So with that being said, it's kind of like with Carlos Takam, he's a regarded as a top 10 guy, but it's basically a top 10 guy by default because it's like who else could you put up there that you would regard as a top 10 fighter? Now, there was one person that, 
you uh, named, uh, what was it, either this earlier this week or last week, Matt, that was in your top ten, but I didn't necessarily say that he is a top ten fighter. Um, and, you know, in, in that particular instance, that's Adam Kamaki. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about Kamaki, man. I really don't. Uh, he doesn't really give me the, you know, the look that he is a top 10 fighter in the heavyweight division uh, right there. Um, you just discriminated against fat guys, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, come on, man. Hey, come on, man. I, I'm just not sold on him. Uh, 205, what, what's your thoughts about Carlos Sackham, man? It, it, it just lost his thunder now, but translation for Matt, he ain't shit and he ain't going to never be shit. That's that's the translation that Matt was saying. Amen. So I I, I definitely remember, and, and, and Matt, you actually hit this quite on the head in that our our friend here seems to erroneously big up Anthony Joshua's fighting partners as if they are bigger than what they are. I remember actually having a conversation with James to where he was saying that Carlos to come was some type of name to be added that, that, that added weight to Anthony Joshua's stock. And I was scratching my head, like, asking the same thing or saying the same thing that you said. Like, what has he done to make him relevant? And I still don't see. I, I agree with you. Like, I, I don't understand, like, what what weight does he add to Anthony Joshua's uh, resume? You know, it's not well, it's not really. I, I, Go ahead, I James. That you, I see that you bring up that question, and, I mean, it. It's kind of a sensible question. It's like I was saying before with Carlos Tackham, he is a top 10 guy, but he's a top 10 guy by default. With that being said, whether Anthony Joshua defeats him or anybody else defeats, defeated him at that particular point, it is on their resume as a guy that was in the top 10 of the division. So that is what it is. That's nothing that could be erased or taken away from anybody's resume. But the thing about it is is that you can't just basically erase that from Anthony Joshua's record. I mean, so that that was basically my point into that particular fight, number one. And then number two, that was kind of like a fight that was fairly tough to begin with anyway because Takum was there shorter guy, a guy with head movement, you know, weird, you know, basically weird ways that he fights. So it was something to where Anthony Joshua had to adjust to end up getting the stoppage victory for that particular fight. But like I was saying before, top 10 guy by default. So it is what it is. Whether it's, you know, his fight against Derek Chisora is going to be a Rocky Juarez versus a Rocky Juarez fight. It's basically going to be that fight, but I was saying, when it comes to the heavyweight division right now, there's only three or four guys that you could probably say are at the top of the division, and then everybody else is basically at a cluster as to saying, okay, 
they stand out way ahead of everybody else that's within that, you know, top uh, 10 or 15 or so. So that's, you know, what I get out of that and particular fight. What's that? Well, who, who are those three or four guys? The is not in there. Who who are the top three or four guys? Well, yeah, because so you said three or four. Who, who? Because I'm pretty sure you're not going to include Luis Ortiz, who I think beats a lot of your quote unquote top ten, including Carlos Tatum. He beats Dillian White. He probably beats Joseph Parker. So so who is these three or four guys that you feel are at the top of the division? I'm not. I'm not really. I'm not really uh, certain about Luis Ortiz to, to give. To be quite honest, but the top four are Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, and Alexander Povetkin. That's the top four. Hey, Povetkin, huh? Oh wow! Oh wow! So, so you're saying that Alexander Povetkin is not in the top four in the heavyweight division? No, not above Luis Ortiz. He's not. No, nah, I don't. I, mm-mm, mm-mm. I, I put. I'm telling you, I would put Povetkin over Ortiz. I would do it. Yep, I'd do it. I would simply I'm like, do it. Like you like You'd be wrong. Yeah, huh? exactly. You'd be wrong. Yeah, you could do it, nah. but you'd be wrong. Nope. Oh, you mean like? Uh, oh, you mean like uh, Matt? Like you were wrong about the fight last night? Can we? Hey, let's actually really talk about that shit. <laughs> You called in, and I already had talked about the fight. So let's bring it back up again. This is a review Listen, I'm not here to of talk what about we're the talking past. about. And I'm not here to talk about the past, <laughs> man. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Listen, I'm we're not talking here to talk about, about this WBA regular welterweight championship fight that happened at Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and you had Manny Pacquiao going up against Lucas Martin Matisse, and Matisse had the WBA title. And somebody said that this would be the last fight for Emmanuel Pacquiao. I wonder who that was. It could still be his last fight. He just ain't lose, though. Very sad, man. You know, know, I I, I have comments on the fight that I think were interesting. And I'll share. Yeah, them. yeah, you had, so, you had like a summary about the fight um, yesterday. So, uh, Mike, if you can, you get like going to that a little bit. So, so it's it's a few things that actually let me pull up my Facebook so I can remember what I wrote. But it's a few things that that really struck that that like peered out for me from the fight, and a lot of it so. One thing is that, you know, this was Pacquiao's first KO win since 2009. So Pacquiao has not knocked anybody out since 2009. And, you know, the way Pac, even even though Pac didn't throw the amount of punches he did way back when, he seemed like a different Pac. Like, he seemed like a, a more energetic, like, moving in and out. And for the most part, when he wasn't in – um Matisse's face, he was throwing punches. Whenever they were close to each other, Pacquiao was throwing punches. So he seemed to have a lot more zeal. And Pacquiao hadn't looked this dominant in quite a few fights. What what was it that that that's different about this fight 
that made Pacquiao look so good? Was it that he had a person in front of him who was like a punching bag? Or did he have greater motivation? Was it that the fight probably didn't have any um, body to test and he was on supplements? Like, what was it? I, I, I just, I'm curious to know because Pacquiao seemed like had to have that same zeal that he had like way back when. And he had knocked, um, he didn't knock, he ain't knocked nobody out since then. I, I just actually question that. Like, what's different? Well, I, was, I would say there was a few I mean, factors. One of them was uh, Lucas Martin-Matisse actually, yeah, looking like a punching bag, so to speak, because he was standing right there in front of Manny Pacquiao uh, taking punches. And if it was uh, a fight that was on HBO with Manny Pacquiao and you had, you know, our, our guy Jim Lampley on there, he would be saying, bang, 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 bang you know, a whole bunch of times if he was commentating on the fight. Um, and I, I just saw Lucas Matisse not really be fully engaged in the fight. So let, let me get this straight. Lucas Matisse wasn't fully engaged in the fight, but Severn took a dive versus Deontay Wilder, and he showed just as little fight as Lucas Matisse. Why won't you man up and be consistent and say what it is, Lucas Matisse took oh. a dive versus Manny Pacquiao. Okay, then maybe <laughs> Lucas Matisse took a dive against Manny Pacquiao. But in reference to that other fight, hey, somebody by the name of Drell Big Baby Miller said that Vermont Severn didn't want to be there. So that is where that comes from. Now, with Lucas Matisse, if he didn't necessarily here, – here's, here's, here's one thing that kind of like showed – if Lucas Matisse really wanted to be there or not. In the second knockdown, if you saw it live, you really didn't see a punch that seemed like it landed flush on Lucas Matisse, but he still ended up going down on one knee. And so it was like, when you saw it live, you're like, wait a minute, what in the world happened? He didn't look like he was seriously hit by a punch, but he still went down to the canvas. So it was like, that, you know, on top of, you know, you know, not him throwing many punches to me, number one, and then just being backed up by everything that Manny Pacquiao was throwing, number two, kind of like showed what it is. But I know, Matt, you're trying to, you know, clean up the whole little prediction of you calling Lucas Matisse <laughs> to defeat Manny Pacquiao and sending Manny Pacquiao to retirement just like you picked you know, Sefer Safiri to defeat Tyson Fury in his comeback fight. But that's all right. <laughs> I did do well, that, didn't like, I? It's a few things, though, because Pacquiao was hitting him, and it seemed like it was Pacquiao of old. Every punch that landed seemed to hurt him. And to me, if if this didn't happen to, you know, Jeff Horn, it didn't happen to... Brandon Rios, if it didn't happen to all the other eight fighters that Manny Pacquiao has faced in the last eight years, like, really, what's different? Like, I know Matisse is damaged goods, don't get me wrong, and Matisse also, if he gets discouraged, Matisse is very similar. Like, people could really compare him to um, Dancing with the Stars. What's his name? Um, 
Victor Ortiz. Victor Ortiz. You can compare him very much to Victor Ortiz. When he's behind the eight ball, like when, when he fought Provodnikov and Provodnikov started like coming on, you could see that he wanted to quit. But the fight just happened to end. Had the fight went one more round, I think he would have quit. Like like seriously. But um I mean that that's what Matisse is. He he's not like he ain't finna take a lot of punishment. He behind the eight ball, the dude just is like, nah, I'm straight. But Manny Pacquiao's punches when they did in the last few years. And that really makes me question like what's what's different? Like what's different now? Yeah, that's kind of like something that we um, saw out of out of this particular fight, and I mean, I I really don't know what to explain from Lucas Matisse, but if you really think about it, him in the welterweight division, uh, there's nothing really too impressive about it. So you can't really see that there was like a real big win from him in the welterweight division, so to speak. So I, I, I don't know what to basically get off of that. I got one thing on Manny Pacquiao that's positive. Manny Pacquiao does seem to be thinking a lot more. He ain't just, you know, come in and just come in wild. He at least, you can see him sort of like, probing and trying to uh, get a reaction out of Matisse, which is what led to, like, the uppercuts that, that ended up finishing him. Like, you can see Manny Pacquiao getting his ass whooped in certain fights made him a better fighter. Sort of like um, Canelo. Yeah. Yeah, you can pretty much uh, yeah say that um, with this um, performance by Manny Pacquiao. Uh, but Yo, I, I just, but seeing the result of this, I, I just couldn't really see, like, what would be next for Manny Pacquiao as far as, like, another big event is concerned, unless if it is, like, over in Malaysia or, you know, somewhere on, you know, that side of the hemisphere. Um, going up against the younger guys at welterweight, I really don't see him, you know, uh, beating many of those guys, you know, other than maybe a Danny Garcia or, you know, with Sean Porter maybe, but other than that, I, I just don't see him uh, defeating the likes of, um, you know, a Keith Thurman or Errol Spence or Terrence Crawford. Um, another possible matchup could be uh, Manny Pacquiao against Samir Khan, which was, you know, kind of like slated for 2017, but didn't necessarily happen. So that's also, you know, up in the air as far as, like, that's a possible fight for Manny Pacquiao. Well, I think the, Khan. yeah, Sean Porter would be too close to call. I don't think he would take a fight like Sean Porter. Adrian Broner Sean, is the fight. Sean Porter would, would maul him. Exactly. It'd be just like Jeff Horn. Mm-hmm. It'd be worse than that because, I, you know, Porter Porter's a quicker guy on his feet, one. And then two, he's a bigger. He's bigger than Jeff Horn is, so that would be an even worse fight oh, yeah. for Manny Pacquiao to take. I see Manny you know? Pacquiao fighting like a broner because it's a fight he knows he can win, and it's a lot of upside per se from the fight. That's the easiest fight he can make, and not not face any punishment. 
Yeah, it's and Broner wins money. It's possible. I mean, if they if they start talking about you know potentially fighting each other starting from now, then you know maybe that that fight could take place, especially with Manny Pacquiao being a quote unquote free agent uh, promotional wise. So I think this that's another uh, possible matchup that could be made. And I could see Floyd sacrificing Broner like that. Yeah, kind of like see that as well too. So. Um, that's you know one thing that is also a uh, possible well, fight. What do you guys there. think about Floyd coming out of retirement to fight Manny? Oh gosh, that was one thought that like uh, I kind of like kind of groan at, at the possibility because knowing you know the quote unquote boxing world and boxing forums and. Things like that, the quickest or the quickest knee jerk reaction to uh, seeing Manny Pacquiao here would be like, "Hey, look, Manny Pacquiao's back, looking and moving in and out of the ring and going in and out of the pocket and look at how he's throwing his combinations." I mean, if we saw that against Floyd Mayweather, he would have beat Floyd Mayweather. Is probably the kind of thing that we would see in these forums. So. That would kind of like try to get some buzz for another fight between those two. And I'm like, no, no, and no, we don't want to see that fight. We don't want to see the rematch. (laughs) I know you want to see it, but I don't want to see it. I don't want to see, you know, Floyd Mayweather get the win again and have people be discouraged once again for buying a pay-per-view or anything like that and them trying to charge a hundred bucks or whatever it is for it. I know it won't be a hundred bucks this time around, but it like people were still people are still mad that Floyd Mayweather beat Manny Pacquiao in twenty fifteen, man. And they're still mad about it. And I'm like, they'll never let it go. Never. You know, so I'm not I'm not for another Floyd Mayweather Manny Pacquiao fight. Even if it was an exhibition fight, it wouldn't be for it. Like how they have a Lennox Lewis fight, Vitaly Klitschko in an exhibition match over at the WBC convention. I don't want to see oh, really? Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. That's happening for real? Uh, yeah, happen. they haven't. Yeah, Lennox yeah. said, hell no, it's not happening. <laughs> they tried to do an exhibition, I guess, but uh, yeah, I guess Lennox Lewis is like, nope, mm-mm. Ain't, ain't, ain't gonna happen this time around. So that's what they were talking about, you know, a couple of weeks ago, up until last week. But I guess Lennox Lewis said, nope, nah, mm-mm. we ain't gonna have it happen. So that is what it is. Um, you know, on that note, pretty much for the end of this episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show, uh, we'll you know carry it. Uh, once again, or do it once again, July 22nd, same time, 7.30, some time. Uh, be sure to catch the sister show, The Cold Hard Truth on Sports, uh, here on Tuesday night, and look for boxing articles on the chconsports.com. That is the chconsports.com, and follow us, The Boxing Source, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Google+. So, um that basically covers everything. I thank y'all for calling in. And like I said, at the end of every show, the point of boxing is to hit and I can hit, not to stand and trade. On that note, I am out. Have a good evening, everyone. <laughs>